Hey guys, welcome back to Joko U and uh, episode number 67, I think. It's, I don't know. Those of you that are listening, I appreciate it. Always do. And um, just just fun stuff. And I'm going to begin this episode. Um, this is called You May Not, You Don't Always Get What You Want. But if you remember the rest of it, but if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you need. Yeah. Let's just get started. Now, in a previous episode, I guess maybe three or four episodes back, there was one called The Phantom Menace. It was where um, the town of Benson was at odds with the county of Johnston. And, you know, that it sort of happens that way. You know, um, they had they had a disagreement about who owed who taxes and who, what you can tax and property rights and so forth. And, you know, it happens sometimes. Benson is at odds with Johnston and Johnston's at odds with the state and the state's at odds with the federal and vice versa back and forth. And, and sometimes we're just at odds with ourselves and don't really know what we actually need. Just case in point. In fact, there are three case in points here. The very first automobile of record in Johnston County, the very first time that someone writes that there is a car driving driving through Johnston County, well, not to say it's the first one, the first one that was recorded was in 1898. It was a brand new 1898 Rio, S-R-E-O. This car, if you want to look it up, it was chain-driven, not belt-driven. It had a side crank, not a key crank. It was only two cylinders, and it was brought into Smithville by a guy named F.K. Broadhurst. Again, 1898. Very first card that we have recorded. Now, if you've ever been to state fairs or the state fair and you see go down to the uh where they're making the popcorn and the ice cream and you hear it put 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 and it's just very, very uneven kind of engine. Well, that's kind of what this was. It was, if you've ever driven a farm all, it sounds somewhat like that, except the farm all has a much more uh, steady rhythm than what this Rio did. It was, still, it was a car. And look it up if you want to. Well, this car, of course, if you ever have driven one of those or, or been near one of those engines, you also know that they're very, very loud. Well, in 1905... We see some cars that um, are going to be brought into the town of Selma. And in 1905, the Selma Town Council was not so much overjoyed at these cars as they were, as it was, alarmed. It was alarmed so much, in fact, that the Selma Town Council had to have a meeting in which they decided to ban the, and I'll quote, the horseless carriage because it was bad for business. And quote. This has got to be the first time I've ever seen a in record of any sort that someone said that cars were bad for business. But according to the Selma Town Council, this these cars apparently alarmed pedestrians and frightened the horses and mules. People complained that they could not bring their produce to town to sell it because the engines of the, these cars completely freaked out their their animals. So some people even projected at the town council meeting, open to the public, that if this contraption was not controlled, business would suffer. So Selma, at this town council meeting, 
banned cars on the main streets. Okay, well, Selma was sued, of course, promptly by two guys that actually had automobiles, a C.P. Harper and a Hugh Michener. They were all owners of the automobiles that prompted the ordinance. Their lawyer argued that they could drive anywhere they liked, Selma, as there were no state laws regarding automobiles in 1905 and their ordinance had no basis. So there. But people were alarmed enough. Yeah. Bad for business. Now, horses and mules had no real problem. That That's on the flip side. Horses and mules really had no real problem with the kind of roads that we had at the time. I mean, our roads in Johnston County were like most roads in North Carolina. They were dirt-packed roads. They had ruts, um, holes. You know, they had indentions. And when it rained, they were ridiculously muddy and impossible to get through. But horses and mules don't really seem to have much of a problem with that. The early automobiles did. And according to North Carolina state law, around the turn of the 20th century, local governments, not the, not the, not the state, local governments were responsible for maintaining all roads and streets in their jurisdictions. County roads were horrendous if they even existed at all because there were no towns that could keep them up. In fact, outside of town limits, outside of town limits inside Johnston County, Many roads from place to place were simply paths on people's farms that connected to each other, and they were maintained by the farmers that owned their particular sections. And that was as recently as 1911. So going from place to place, there are no county roads. There may be one here and there, maybe, but most of the roads going from place to place were on people's were through people's farms that they used to pull in their produce. So, a group of Johnston residents around 1911 organized something called a Better Roads Association that lobbied county commissioners long enough and hard enough that the board called for a vote among Johnston citizens for a $500,000 bond for local road improvements. Y'all, in 1911, $500,000, that, 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 that's a lot of money. Now, so... But still, so it went to voters. Do you approve of the bond? Yes or no. And the vote was taken in May of 1914. And Johnston voters, the good people of Johnston County, well, I guess they didn't really see the benefit of roads. They just saw that it was going to raise their taxes. <laughs> Not here. Well, Johnston voters rejected the bond by a two-to-one margin, so we got stuck with ruddy paths. Well, Apparently, it wasn't just Johnston County that voted against, you know, better roads. So then the state had to step in, or the, the state was lobbied. And, and the state of North Carolina, in 1921, decided that if the local governments were not going to pay for their own roads, something had to be done. So, the North Carolina General Assembly, in 1921, enacted something called the Highway Act of 1921, it's, they would take out, the state of North Carolina took out a $50 million bond to pay for roads statewide. And one of the big projects of the Highway Act of 1921 was to create two, or two of them, were to create two big, what they called highways, they really were just two-lane roads, but two long, and they were, they were dirt too, but two long 
highways, one going east-west, one going north-south. And the first one they really were concerned about was something called the, they, what they called the North Carolina Central Highway, which went from coast to mountains. They were going to call it NC-10. It was going to stretch from Moorhead City to Asheville. And even though Johnston voters didn't really want to pay for these better roads themselves, when those roads got built, they sure did benefit from them because NC-10 connected not just Moorhead City to Asheville, but it came right to the heart of Johnston County, connecting Goldsboro to Princeton, Princeton to Pine Level, Pine Level to Selma, Selma to Smithfield, Smithfield to Clayton, and eventually up to Raleigh and on westward. And people started using this road that they didn't really want to pay for on a local level. I mean, I imagine it's expensive. So when this North Carolina Central Highway was completed in July of 1927, two men, sort of a celebratory act, drove its entire length in 15 hours and 53 minutes. They left Moorhead City at 4.05 a.m. and arrived in Smithfield shortly before 7 a.m. That's even 1927, man, that's getting it. That's moving. The rest of the, I mean, the, the rest of the hours, I don't know, I guess it got slower, but still, that's not that's not making bad time. And when they rode through Smithfield, they were people on the sides of the road, cheering them on. Like, this is a big spectacle. This very road they didn't want to, you know, eh, never mind. So NC-10 did not disappear. In fact, as time went on, NC-10 later became US-70. Followed the same path. In fact, it was the same path. Another road was designated by this act to go north-south, as I mentioned, as NC-10 went east-west. It's supposed to go north-south. This was going to be called NC-22, and it connected, from top to bottom, Kenley, Micro, Selma, Smithfield, Four Oaks, and Benson, and connected with NC-10 and Smithfield, making Smithfield a major intersection of state traffic. Today, that NC-22 is Highway 301, or US-301. It was dirt. It was dirt, but then again, of course, it got paved eventually. So the conjecture or the, the conjecture, the conjunction between NC-22 and NC-10 in Smithfield is going to do a lot of good for the town of Smithfield. In fact, by the mid-1920s, Johnston businesses didn't seem to really mind automobiles anymore. And it was this highway connection that supported lots of new businesses in Smithfield. In fact, in fact, it also supported the largest department store in North Carolina, the three-story Hugh Austins. And by 1926, I mean, didn't take long, by 1926, Johnson had more than 10 car dealers selling Fords, Chryslers, Chevrolets, Oldsmobiles, Stars, Hudsons, Essexes, and Buicks, among others. And people can now access the new Johnston County Courthouse that was built in 1922 from all over the county and also be able to access the new county hospital from all over the county in 1926. So, can't always get what you want, but you might find you get what you need. Hey, here's another one. 50 years prior, we see a similar situation. Up until the 1870s, farmers in Johnston fenced in their crops. So, you plant a big old field of corn, and you plant a fence or plant a fence around your corn. But Johnston farmers, in fact, state farmers all over the state, allowed their hogs, their sheep, their cows, their goats, their horses to roam free. Now, 
let that sink in for a second. They didn't fence in their livestock. State law permitted them to fence in their plants, but they could let their livestock run free, even in town. Their owners will be able to identify whose is whose, you know, at the end, by ear tagging the animals or branding them. Some of Johnston's municipal parks, you know, town parks, were actually founded for the grazing of such animals. They were like commons, the common grazing areas. There were simply no laws against this practice until 1879, when the North Carolina General Assembly allowed towns to enact what they called stock laws, and only, but really only if they felt so inclined. The more rural parts of Johnston County were stringently opposed to fencing in their livestock, just let all the livestock wander about. But voters in the northern and western townships were enthusiastic. I guess they got tired of seeing cows all over their backyards. The rural folk argued that the cows eventually came home, so to speak. But townspeople were tired of having to dodge cows. Okay, well... So, a little piggy might wander into the market. <laughs> Some would stay home, of course. Another piggy might wander into somebody's open kitchen and eat their roast beef. Some would have none, but if a little piggy wandered into my kitchen and stole my roast beef, it would find a reason to run wee-wee-wee all the way home. Sorry, I had way too much fun with that one. So when people decided they would not fence in their livestock, some said, no, we will not. Kind of like how some people say, no, I will not get immunized, but whatever. The county decided to levy a tax on real estate to put up the fences themselves. You won't do it, we'll do it, because your cows are eating someone else's flowers. Now, in 1898, Smithfield's town board enacted an ordinance that actually outlawed hog pens in the town's limits. And you would think, obviously, no one wants to smell hog pens in town, but man, some people lost their minds about that. You can't make me fence in my animals, seriously? But that happened at Smithfield, of course, now that's the, that's the rule. So, in this same 50-year span from the 1870s to the 1920s, we have another case, Prohibition. You know where that was. People tried to had this idea they could somehow outlaw alcohol. Well, it took off nationally. In Smithfield, bar rooms began to disappear in the early 1900s, replaced by things called dispensaries, which were kind of like pharmacies and more easily controlled. But instead of getting you know antibiotics, you get you know moonshine. Oh no, not maybe whiskey. But even they were closed down countywide by 1905. Now, if you visited Johnston County in one of Johnston's towns in 1905, you would be getting a pretty good or an idea that perhaps Johnston was going to go dry, that we might see Johnston County go completely alcohol-free. It looked that way inside the towns, but if you ever lived in Johnston County, you'd know that that was not the case. But convinced of the death of alcohol, in North Carolina, the General Assembly put its fate to North Carolina voters in 1908, whether or not we should ban alcohol in this state or not. So they held a vote statewide for a new, for a new 
rule new law, and when the vote got counted, 77 of North Carolina's 98 counties at the time voted to outlaw alcohol in May of 1908. 77 voted to ban alcohol in this state. 62% of voters said yes to prohibition, 38% against. And North Carolina became the very first state in the nation to approve prohibition 12 years before the constitutional amendment. North Carolina's voters went nearly nearly 2 to 1 against alcohol in this state. But when you look closer at the vote totals and look at the county levels in that vote, Johnston's voters also went 2 to 1, but not for prohibition but against prohibition, which was the widest margin of any vote in any direction in the state overall. When the results were announced in the Raleigh News Observer, the newspaper gave Johnston, because, you know, look at the vote, newspaper gave Johnston the nickname of Banner Whiskey County. Oh, these people love their liquor in Johnston County. So, whether the voters of Johnson wanted to ban alcohol or not, like in the case of the automobile and the earlier stock laws, the change came anyway, whether they liked it or not. But of course, in this case, and as any observer of Johnson County's history can tell you, making alcohol illegal did not get rid of it. Making it illegal only made a new class of millionaires and legends, Percy Flowers comes to mind, that made their money by the shine of the full moon. Can't always get what you want. I don't know. Anyway, so there's that episode. It's a lot of fun. Always enjoy doing these. And and um, you keep listening. I'll keep making them. And uh, guys, until next time, be good. <laughs>